Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, this is Anne Filippi, founder of The New Health Club. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. And we think that the future is already here. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club show. My guest today is Charlie Winninger. And he's a licensed psychoanalyst and mental health counselor for individuals and couples. He's an author and an expert on psychedelic drugs. The 70-year-old is also a relationship counselor who calls MDMA the relationship superglue. So I was wondering, is our connection on a newer level the most important one? Charlie is actually a good person to ask since he just published a book called Listening to Ecstasy. And he talks about his journey with his wife, Shelley, since the two of them, you could say, became relationship scientists with the support of ecstasy. You could also say they researched ecstasy in their marriage, they integrated it as a tool to communicate better in their relationship and in their friendships with like-minded people. I think this is an amazing topic since the idea of marriage and relationships have changed big time and we seem to need new tools to understand each other's minds and hearts in this world. Charlie and I talk about the rediscovery of MDMA in the context of psychedelic renaissance and how MDMA could support couples therapy in the future and of course what does that mean for love. I really had a great time listening to Charlie's experience with his clients and his wife and how the, the way they talked about their therapy. So please enjoy this episode and enjoy Charlie. We're talking today, and I'm very excited for this interview, to Charlie Winninger, psychotherapist and author, and author with the amazing book that just came out called Listening to Ecstasy. I'm sure you must have already tons of <laughs> sold <laughs> copies. Um, because I mean, not that not only that MDMA and ecstasy is in the media recently again as a possible mental health drug, but it also has a very long history um, in the history of yeah drugs. You would have to say at this point. So, um, but your approach to it is that it could be a relationship super glue. So. Please take it from here because it's already enough excitement. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, first of all, and thank you for, for having me on here. Um, uh, yes, uh, I have found uh, and my wife and I have found and our friends have found that MDMA can serve as relationship superglue uh, in that 
It uh, puts us in a, uh, my wife and I, in a state of heavenly bliss for a few hours, uh, where our bodies are chemically, our bodies are flooded with serotonin and oxytocin, uh, which which gives us a, a profound feeling of safety and well-being. Uh, and in that state, we can not only feel our love for each other, and my wife and I normally feel that, but it brings us down deeper to a, a deeper level where uh, our bodies are attuned to each other, our minds are attuned to each other, uh, and we are in a state of flow and oneness with each other. And it's a bonding experience that we can use after the role, after the experience. Uh, and here in America, we call an MDMA experience a role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that experience, we have the memory of the experience and we can get back in touch with it. And we've done this uh, many times now now so it has cumulative effects over the years uh, it just brings us down to a deeper level of connection uh, of intimacy of belonging with each other uh, and a connection also to uh, the community at large okay so this is also what the book is about you could say right i mean in in general how your way to finding a different kind of relationship. But I mean, since you're a psychotherapist, so I could imagine that a lot of people, I mean, latest now with your book coming out, um, would be also very much interested in that. And there are already researchers that we had Brian D. Earp on the podcast, um, mm-hmm. who wrote this amazing book, Love Drugs, um, where actually MDMA or ecstasy is used in couples therapy. Yes. To, yeah, I mean, like to just make the outcome a little more effective, um, yes. as well as um, if you have a normal talk therapy, um, where psychedelics can also make your therapy a little bit effective. So, is this something you were actually thinking about to kind of, let's say, create a model around this? I mean, of course, legally, this is not possible yet, but. We could be getting there in the next couple of years. Well, yes, I hope to be getting there. I mean, the book is really a love story and an adventure story about how two middle-aged people entered a forbidden world of psychedelic Mm -hmm. drug users and found it to be enchanted. And we found that... Uh, we didn't know it when we started. We were just experimenting. Uh, but we found MDMA to be um, a very unusual and uncanny uh, compound uh, that um, connects us, like I say, not just to ourselves and each other, but to the community at large. And we didn't start out with that intention. And I didn't start writing the book with that intention. But it it turned out that Uh, MDMA has a tremendous potential for couples. As a matter of fact, before it was illegal, back in the early 80s, uh, when it was used in California, uh, the man who uh, rediscovered MDMA started giving it to psychotherapists in his area there in Northern California. The first name 
that these psychotherapists gave the drug was empathy. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I didn't know. Uh, and they started giving the drugs not only to their individual clients, but to their couples, uh, because it could help couples really connect with the kind of love that brought them together in the first place that they might have forgotten about because they're fighting all the time. Uh, so uh, it, it helps couples uh, connect on the level of, of empathy and compassion to really feel what it's like being in the other's shoes. One session with MDMA with a couple can can be equivalent to six or 12 months of couples therapy if it's done with the right intention and mm -hmm. if it's done with the right therapist. And with the right um, compound also, right? I mean, because... That's what I mean, with MDMA, yes. Because what people hear would hurt, if they hear ecstasy, most people would still think of a part like the party drug that's not always kind of very pure, but kind of... Well, that's the thing. Um, yeah. I emphasize in the book, there's a, a chapter in the book about a guide, a guide to safe use. Mm -hmm. uh, and all, well, I roll out all the guidelines. And the first guideline is you must have pure MDMA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we only use pure MDMA. We have a testing kit. We can, you can get it legally or, or online. On Amazon, actually. And, oh, yes. Good. <laughs> we only buy and only use pure MDMA. Mm -hmm. We weigh it out with a good scale. Uh, we don't mix it with other drugs uh, while we're rolling. We don't drink or anything like that. We don't, we, we don't do other drugs. Except maybe at the end of the roll, we might add some cannabis. Uh, and we hydrate uh, thoroughly during the experience. We follow all the guidelines so that we don't fall into any of the uh, the potholes on the path mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and keep it a, a safe experience. The, uh, the bad press that uh, MDMA used to get when it was called ecstasy or molly um, was because people were uh, not really using it. They were abusing it. You know, they'd be in the club dancing away and they'd say, oh, this feels good. Let me do another one and another mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And let me drink on top of that. Right. Or do other drugs with it. And then they might end up in the emergency room. Mm. Uh, so, um, but, but these days we know a lot about how to use MDMA correctly. And Shelly and I have rolled almost 70 times over the past 20 years, and we have never had a bad experience. Because you had the right, let's say, set and setting, right? That's right, set and setting, pure MDMA only, the right dosage. We don't overdo it. Mm -hmm. We don't do it too often, mm -hmm. et cetera. So is this like, I mean, of course, this opens up a whole new idea of love, to be honest, mm. and of relationships, of marriage even. Um, mm. Because, I mean, again, like we said earlier, like as as much as the problem is often with talk therapy, if you only do talk therapy, you could do this for like 50 years and the outcome would be like okay-ish kind of. Yeah. And the same thing I can imagine is with couples therapy. I mean, I haven't done it personally, but I just, I feel like I've seen 50 movie scenes that are horrible because it's couples <laughs> therapy. Yeah. Just what would happen if, if 
if one would replace classic couples therapy uh, with, um, let's call it like a chemical relationship to make it a little kind of well, um, I wouldn't, provocative. I wouldn't want to endorse replacing one with the other. Uh, they are good adjuncts to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for my wife and I, we've had uh, a wonderful, wonderful marriage. This is our second marriage for each of us. And, you know, every now and then we've we've gone to see a couple's therapist just for a little tune-up. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, certainly all the MDMA experiences we've had have been tremendously therapeutic for us. It's true. Uh, and but But the important thing about... An MDMA experience is the integration of it afterwards, which is true for any good uh, psychedelic experience. Uh, how, how you weave it into your life uh, uh, is all important. Uh, and so we've learned how. I mean, MDMA, the, you know, I call my book Listening to Ecstasy because I learned over time that it was teaching me things. Mm-hmm. And one thing it was teaching me is gratitude. Um, and in this country, just yesterday, we had Thanksgiving, and I was uh, talking uh, uh, to Shelley about all the things I'm grateful for, starting with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, now, of course, MDMA is not the only route towards gratitude, but it does help me uh, realize uh, how many. Um, profound blessings I have. And to be focused on that keeps me in the positive frame of mind and keeps me positively focused on my my wife, who uh, has uh, given me so many, a marriage has given me so many, many uh, things that have improved the quality of my life. Mm-hmm. So every day I'm expressing gratitude towards her. Mm-hmm. So this is, sounds almost like a revolutionary idea these days that you have one person to focus on <laughs> where you could swipe so many people like, I mean, maybe not now, but still you could. I mean, and, and people just, do. Yes. And people do. So, I mean, and obviously even before COVID, um, I read this expression in from which comes out of New York, like Tinder fatigue, that even... Mm. If people are very successful on Tinder, after six months, they get into a Tinder rabbit hole, for example, mm. and they can't, even if they would have like 20 dates, they would not respond to it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We we live at a time when there's this, uh, where people don't know how to be intimate uh, and and make profound connections that are lasting and have elements of commitment to them. So, I mean, because the interesting thing I find with this is that in in the whole psychedelic, let's say, philosophy or theories that are kind of coming out now is that a lot of times um, depression is related to the loss of connection to certain things like, I mean, nature, for example, or um, connection, like that's mm-hmm. the, the meta um, problem almost mm-hmm. yeah. with everything. So, I mean... And I was wondering, I mean, if you want to talk about this. So, is this something that people come and that come to your practice that they're dealing with, and where they don't know how to connect anymore with their significant others or their family, even? 
Absolutely. Uh, there's really, a, a, in, in America at least, uh, there's an epidemic of loneliness and alienation. And I like to call MDMA the, the chemical of connection mm-hmm. because it helps connect one with themselves and what's going on in their body in the moment. And the body is where we experience feelings. It helps one connect with another because MDMA encourages and chemically urges us out of ourselves towards another person and it helps us connect with the world at large so uh it is one of the antidotes to alienation and isolation and loneliness that we have in in our society okay so and and that means also that if you let's say if you do this a couple of times a year right the your your mutual mm-hmm. experience with your wife. So mm-hmm. the question would be that what happens with psilocybin, for example, does this also change something on your uh, neural level that y- you connect on a neural level and on an emotional level and on a you know, sociological level? So is there another level where the connection is happening? And And also, is this changing your neuroplasticity also? Well, it's a good question. I'm not sure about the science of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm not equipped to answer on, on that level uh, as far as neuroplasticity is concerned and the effect of all on each and every one of these hormones. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, but certainly, uh, when uh, Shelley and I are rolling, we're, we're connecting on not only a, an emotionally and romantically intimate level, but on a spiritual level as well, and where our minds are uh, also are attuned to each other. Mm-hmm. We're really as close to oneness as we ever we ever could be, um, and so there's something about that profound attunement to mm-hmm. each other where we can actually feel each other's feelings um, that is uh, uh, profound and bonding and uh, for us tends to be lasting. But it's interesting because it, I feel like there was this whole discussion in the psychedelic world that things can like that can be achieved with um, plants and plant medicine. But the truth is it can also be achieved with chemical substances like ketamine also, for example. We had this podcast um, with a New York professor um, who actually brought up this great expression, chemical mindfulness. So, Hmm. um, and I mean, I think it's interesting how it's not so much related anymore that it has to be a plant and has to come out of nature to be correct You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it could be also like a substance that is created 1912 by a German company called Mac, which I just learned. <laughs> These yes. Germans are yes. psychedelics. Yes. <laughs> They just love it. <laughs> But um, well, yeah. So your your 
asking me about uh, the efficacy or desirability of uh, a man-made chemical versus a naturally occurring. Well, no, I just, I just, uh, I just thought it's interesting that that um, I remember like half a year ago, it was almost like a conflict in the psychedelic world where one, like people would say, well, this only can happen with plants, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And other people would say, well, it could be also yeah. a chemically created substance that will help. So Yes, and there's still that controversy. Uh, but for me, I feel like we're living in extraordinary times with mm -hmm. uh, unique challenges. And any tool that we can find that doesn't exactly. hurt anybody else, that can we, we can employ to reconnect with ourselves and each other, is fair game. Mm -hmm. I think so too. But now, of course, you want to hear how you guys took ecstasy together the first time. <laughs> If you want to talk oh, about well, this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, thanks for asking. I love telling the story. <laughs> I love it so much I wrote about it. I know, but it's great if you tell it. Oh, thank you. Uh, We met in 2000, and uh, Shelley was just out of an 18-year marriage that, where she felt kind of repressed by her husband, and uh, she wanted to spread her wings and fly. Uh, uh, she had a newfound freedom by finding the courage to leave her, her husband, and met me uh, about eight months later, and... Uh, learned that I was a psychonaut, that I had experimented with psychedelics uh, for 50 years, or up to that point, it was 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to try MDMA. So uh, I uh, I had actually given up on it at that time. And I, I had uh, thought that um, I didn't know about the, the guidelines and the protocols. This was back in 2000 when it was called ecstasy. And I had some uh, negative experiences before I met her because uh, I didn't know about hydrating and I didn't mm -hmm. know about 5-HTP and all these things. So um, I'd given up on it, but she wanted to do it. So I said, all right, okay, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll guide you through a session. And then I thought, all right, well, I'll do it with you. I'll see <laughs> how it goes. Uh, okay. I had only done it alone up to that point. Oh, wow. That's, um, yeah. And I didn't know that, you know, you, you, one generally doesn't roll alone. It's like, uh, it's uh, when you do MDMA alone, it's like being all dressed up and having nowhere to go. Like in COVID. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> like in COVID times. So, okay. <laughs> so we were, um, we borrowed a friend's uh, home in up, upstate New York mm -hmm. in, in the middle of sure. of the woods. And um, she, uh, uh, we, we woke up in the morning and had some breakfast and then waited and then uh, dropped our little capsules of pure MDMA. And uh, after, after about an hour, Shelly looked like she was waking up out of a long sleep uh just like coming to in a way that was was so beautiful to see and she was um glowing mm -hmm. just glowing 
And um, her, her son had told her, you know, on MDMA, it's nice to just touch yourself, like stroke your arms and stroke your legs. It's a very sensual, it's not a sexual drug, but it's a sensual drug. And so she started doing that. And she wanted to stroke me in my face. And I said, no, no, I'm not. Not not quite yet ready. <laughs> and she said, okay, you're not ready. Okay. All right. So she kept on stroking herself and just went into this very deep uh, reverie uh, and, uh, and learned, started this process that day where she learned how to love herself more. Mm-hmm. She's always struggled and she talks about this in the book, but... She's always struggled with her body image, like a lot of women, and and uh, and and accepting herself. And MDMA has helped her over the years to really love and accept herself. But it really was a revelation for us that we could connect on this level. It was a revelation for me. I thought, oh my goodness, this really is a useful chemical. This really is. Uh, the, the chemical of connection. This really is, a, uh, I wouldn't even call it a drug anymore. I'd call it a medicine mm-hmm. uh, that, that can have uh, profound effects on, uh, on my soul. Uh, so, uh, and so from then on, uh, we, uh, we've decided to, to have this as part of our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, it's a, it's a group marriage. It's it's Shelley and me and MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice idea. Like there's always like somebody you can ask <laughs> besides the other person. But I mean, you you said this um, in this one interview or like in in one of your videos, so that um, MDMA kind of reintroduces you to yourself. So yes. also in, in, I mean, that's now if we talk about in a context of a relationship or a marriage, so mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about this, how this, how you would describe this, the reintroduction? Well, it reintroduced me to the child in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned from using MDMA that fun, play, Joy can be potentially transformational experiences. It it helped me get back in touch with the innocent child inside of me, who's really not that far away, not far beneath the surface. Uh, uh, when I'm rolling, I am uh, first of all, I'm making sure that my setting is such that I'm not, I don't have any responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I'm not driving. I'm not <laughs> working. I'm not, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday evening mm-hmm. where I have the next day to recuperate. Um, and we are uh, in a place where I'm just able to get back in touch. With the kid in me, uh, I feel light. I feel free. I'll turn on some music, like uh, electronic dance music, and feel like I am being danced, mm-hmm. uh, like by a marionette. Uh, I'm just so light and free and happy. Uh, and it's not just a discrete experience that when it's over, it's over. Uh, we've done this many times, and uh, the, like I say, the effects are cumulative, so that it's changed me in that now when I'm sober, which is, of course, the overwhelming majority of the time, uh, I am still remembering 
this is where the integration of the experience right. comes in. I'm mm-hmm. still remembering that. No, I'm really like, yeah, I'm 71 years old, but I'm also seven years old. And mm-hmm. I'm also two years old. And I'm also 18 years old. Uh, in the, those, those, those younger versions of me exist inside of me. And I can access them if I need to. To remember the the playfulness, to remember the, the the lightness of being that I had then, and to remember that I like to have fun. I'm talking about sober fun. I like to dance. I like to make love. I like to commune with my friends. Uh, I, I like to uh, go to festivals and 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 have a great time. Uh, it's it's reminded me that that fun and play and joy can be a part of living even in these times and even at this stage of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it's interesting because, as we know, MDMA therapy is used right now mostly or researched, we should, it's because it's not out there yet, uh, researched um, to heal trauma in, I don't know, so many variations, yes. like in, in people who have been to the war, who are suffering PTSD, People who are veterans and can't have a normal life anymore after the experience it's in the war. Of sexual violence. That too. Yes. So, but I mean, mm-hmm. um, I find interesting. I don't know where I read this. I think it was also in, in Brian's book that there are relationships where one party or maybe even two parties are suffering from trauma, mm-hmm. and um, that's why even if they don't not really know that they're suffering from it. So, but let's say they don't never really address it for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then, yes. which means they could never really experience a happy relationship. And mm-hmm. it's not even the fault of the other person, which we often like, oh, you do this. And that's why I feel like this and this. So, yes, which we know in our grown-up minds, it's not the case, but mm-hmm. we yeah. still do it. So is there anything you could say about how how people could be actually looking into that kind of setup if they realize, well, um, obviously I have some experiences that keep me away from intimacy, from real intimacy, from even sustaining a relationship? for example, mm-hmm. which we don't learn anymore. I mean, where would we learn this right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring this up, Anne, because the um, they, they're starting to do research now uh, using MDMA for couples, mm-hmm. where one of the partners is uh, uh, suffers from trauma from the mm-hmm. past, mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder, and the other does not. Um, and but they're giving both the people MDMA, mm-hmm. and it helps them. Uh, it, it helps the the non trauma uh, person uh, to really understand the person, the, their partner who's who has all this trauma, and understand why they are sometimes creating havoc in the relationship, right. sometimes yeah. creating a lot of conflict mm-hmm. in the relationship. And they get to really feel on a, on, a, on a visceral level what that trauma is about for them. And, uh, and so they can be allies in healing instead of adversaries mm-hmm. in battle. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so they're, they're learning that MDMA can be useful in this way. So, I mean, because I find it interesting that once I started psychedelic therapy, which is just a year ago, like with always in a controlled setting, setting and synthesis mm -hmm. and this amazing retreat in Amsterdam. And um, like I had an encounter in that experience in on psilocybin in February and It re I kind of in in my brain or in my mind I started to remember a situation from my childhood that I always knew that I never really thought of anymore, but it was always in my mind. So it came forward into my brain, I would say, mm. like in my mind, and and then a couple of months later I encountered a situation that re-traumatized me, leading back to this whole thing, like when I was seven years old. So, and it was so interesting how this never, ever happened before in any kind of talk therapy. And then I realized I never even talked about it to a therapist. So meaning that it mm. never, it was always kind of hidden somewhere in the corner. But obviously it was very, very important for my not so good relationship skills. I would say. Uh -huh. So, yeah. but I I finally started to realize this. I mean, one could say like six months ago, which is a while into my life already. So, and I find with psychedelic therapy, you, you're just able to, to find these traumas where you don't yes, even think of it. That was a trauma mm -hmm. because you yes, say, well, right. yeah, it was just like not so nice, but yeah, you know, you know how it is. So, but suddenly your brain is able to, no, 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 wait, you this is the thing you have to go through again, yes. because mm -hmm. otherwise it's not going to happen. So, and how do yes. you think this kind of, I mean, I'm kind of a guinea pig in a way, a little bit with this right now for myself, but I find I make real progress. So, and, and I feel this could be like a whole new way, obviously, of, of um, looking at therapy. So how do you think this will change therapy in the next couple of years when we are actually able to access MDMA oh therapy. Oh my, well, uh, I mean, seems like you, uh, you probably know the answer to that. No, but you are the therapist. <laughs> I'm just a you're, guinea pig. You're, oh, but you're, but, you're, but you're the living proof. Yeah. Uh, what you're saying so. is that, you know, I'm hearing you say this really helped me. This was yeah. really, no, like of course it did. A yeah. Ca a catalyst to my healing, uh, And so it's going to be changing therapy in two ways. Number one, it's going to introduce these medicines into the therapeutic process, as opposed to antidepressants or anti-anxiety medicines where you have to take them every day and they numb you in one way or another. Um, these medicines help you go into the pain and face the pain and still feel safe. So it's, it's reintroducing medicines in the course of treatment. And it's also going to change psychotherapy because it's going to shorten its duration mm -hmm. uh, because you one generally does not go do or need to do MDMA therapy, for example, over years. It's not, I mean, I know one person who has, and he did a, a short play about it, actually, a one-man play called It's a Beautiful Wound, mm -hmm. which uh, you can find on YouTube. Beautiful piece of work. It's a beautiful wound about his journey mm -hmm. uh, uh, doing MDMA therapy. Uh, but generally, 
uh, one doesn't need too many sessions uh, with MDMA and then the integration sessions afterwards. So it's going to shorten the duration of therapy uh, uh, as well uh, and, uh, and help people because trauma, they're learning now that we're all learning, aren't we? That trauma uh, has uh, a, a good deal to do with why our relationships don't work mm-hmm. uh, or why there are wars uh, why there's so much hate in the world, why there's so much fear and terror in the world. Uh, there's, uh, we, we, we get traumatized and then we tend to uh, not deal with it and then pass it down from generation to generation, father to son and mother to daughter and father to daughter and mother to son and, and, and goes on and on. And, well, we uh, just had... Um, uh, Rachel Yehuda last week on the show uh, with this epigenetic trauma research, okay. which is exactly what, what what you're talking about. And uh-huh. she's also starting her research, hopefully very soon, with the MDMA program in New York in the Mount Sinai mm-hmm. Hospital. Mm. But um, one thing I found interesting also reading about this, about, let's say, MDMA couple therapy, that I think most people think, oh, when we're going to do this, um, everything will be totally fine and we just know exactly how great the other person is <laughs> and what they're doing. But also the outcome could be that you break up and that mm-hmm. you realize, well, it's really better. But then mm-hmm. this breakup, and that's what I found super interesting, what what I read about in, in a couple of, of um, studies or like early stages, that even that breakup will be a very different one than if you just have to pull yourself together and here's the divorce. I wanted to give you yeah. the papers. So it will be a divorce <laughs> on a whole neural level, at a different imagine, neural level, kind of. Imagine doing divorce uh, in a on MDMA. way. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good idea. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, that's to me a really a revolutionary concept that... Mm. That you, I mean, because so many movies show you like, okay, you get, you break up, you have a divorce. And although you know that these people who are breaking up in that movie, stay with that example, it's obviously a good idea they're doing this. But Mm -hmm. so the movie or like the story is all about their pain breaking up. But so that means you could understand on a very different level why this breakup makes sense. Yes, Yes, um, I sure wish I had such help with uh, the breakup of my first marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for example. Was, it was mutual, but it was very painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, an MDMA would have helped that process uh, to imagine having empathy for the person that you are splitting with um, uh, and, and compassion for that person while you're divorcing them, uh, it would make for much lower attorney fees. That's for sure. Well, that's a business model we shouldn't disrupt. <laughs> this one, <laughs> another one. Um, but so, so I mean, like, how do you think this will, or this is already changing your work, right, as a psychotherapist? And of course, I can imagine there will be people coming into your practice and inquiring about any kind of other experiences, maybe not even MDMA, but you could also say, should we go on an ayahuasca trip together, which you could do. I mean, you could 
So are people inquiring about this already? Um, I'm, I'm sad to say that I cannot do that mm. yet. Um, sure. All these substances are, are illegal in this country. Ayahuasca is more of a gray area, but mm -hmm. certainly MDMA is illegal. I don't do therapy, uh, medically assisted therapy. I wish I could. No, but I look you forward can to the do day it that I do, sure. uh, yeah. but I, I can't do that yet. Um, and uh, I can tell people that You know, I can point them to research and say that they're getting great results mm -hmm. uh, and they might want to uh, uh, investigate the possibility of, uh, of, uh, of looking into something like this for themselves, but I can't uh, provide that therapy yet. Uh, and that's one of the, um, the tragedies of, uh, of prohibition and the drug war uh, that, uh, that we're living under. But I mean, this is kind of the, like since a month. So like the war on drugs. I mean, there's so many articles. The war on drugs is ending. The war on drugs is disappearing. Well, it's slowly coming to an end. Uh, yes, at yeah. least that's the that's the, uh, uh, the the progress that's being made mm -hmm. right now in in the U.S. and and elsewhere too. Um, as a friend of mine put it, the the uh, drugs won the the U.S. election. Um, because everywhere legalization or decriminalization or liberalization of the of drug laws were on the ballot, mm -hmm. they won. Um, so there are more states now that have legal cannabis and or decriminalized uh, drugs. So mm -hmm. we're going in the right direction. It's an interesting point because you have also these uh, little videos on your website, which are great, that basically talking about how to come out of the psychedelic closet if you have done this and you mm -hmm. talk to your community, your family about this. But if we think about this in a broader sense, like how do you think, what's your perception or your idea of how this, let's say, access to therapy with, in, with the Oregon model or in, in Washington, I think you can also everything goes in that direction. So in Canada, it's, it's just changing a lot. So mm -hmm. how do you think this will play out in this yeah, really big mental health crisis right now? How, how, do you think people will just really engage in this? Yes. Uh, when the FDA here in this country, um, and, and should be 2023, Uh, say that MDMA can be a legal prescription medication mm -hmm. to treat PTSD, uh, and then there'll be off-label uses. Uh, that will destigmatize uh, the use of MDMA, and um, there'll be much more publicity about what good it can do for people, all sorts of people with all sorts of issues. And I think there's going to be an explosion of interest in it. Mm -hmm. uh, just like there's been an explosion of interest in cannabis right, over the yeah. past 10, 15 years uh, because people realize that it's a medicine that can be used to treat depression, anxiety, uh, all sorts of, uh, uh, of pathologies and, and, and symptoms. So yes, I think it's going to be uh, very popular. Uh, I mean, imagine having a medicine you don't have to do every day for the rest of your life. Mm. that can lift your depression or or quell your anxiety uh, and and strengthen your relationships 
and help you be a happier human being. Um, it's not a magic bullet. It's not a magic cure. It takes work. It takes integration and synthesis work uh, mm-hmm. afterwards. But with that work, it can really be a tremendous tool for growth and uh, life enhancement. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of this, you had also this video called, um, what was it, Age Hacking with MDMA? Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to know yes. about, about this. Yeah, I wanted to know about all this? about that too. I, uh, <laughs> I was surprised. I mean, like when I, like I said, when I met Shelly, I was 51, mm-hmm. I'm now 71. And, and I, I learned, I didn't, seek to learn this but it it one thing that uh, as i was listening to ecstasy what was teaching me is that it can help me navigate the aging process from middle age into being a senior and uh, help me with life transitions partly because it's like taking uh, a a, heli- a chemical helicopter ride mm-hmm. above your life for several hours where you can look out at the view, see where you've been for the past year or decades, mm-hmm. uh, see where you are, and envision where out into uh, to the horizon where you might want to go. So it, g- it gives great perspective. Uh, uh, it g- gives me great perspective uh, for several hours, and then uh, gives me a sense of how to set my path and set my compass in the direction. Uh, so that's one way it, it, it helps me navigate the aging process. It also helps me realize that aging is not my enemy. Ageism is mm. my enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the attitudes about aging that I might have unwittingly internalized Uh, that uh, aging is a time of demise and uh, and uh, of of being and feeling less vital. Um, that doesn't have to be. It can be a time of uh, ripening and opening. And you talked about neuroplasticity. You know, mm-hmm. there's an old phrase in this country: you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Horrible. Well, that turns out to be a big lie. Yeah. This old dog has learned many new <laughs> tricks over the, over the years uh, and, uh, and learned that I can keep growing and keep learning and keep blossoming in many ways in my relationships and the things I want to be learning and new things I want to discover. And I can keep expanding my circle of friends. So many people I know who are older, their circle of friends gets smaller and smaller Shrinking. as mm-hmm. people move away or or die. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. That's what I learned because the, there's a psychedelic community out there. It's out mm-hmm. there for everyone. If you don't live in a large town where there are a lot of psychonauts, then you can find it over the internet. But uh, in a, I'm blessed to be in a city here in New York where mm-hmm. there are thousands of open-hearted, open-minded, smart, Uh, uh, good and well-intentioned people who are interested in these substances and interested in exploring a life of creativity and growth. And these are the best people we'd ever want to meet. And we've met them over the years. They've become some of our best friends. 
So we have a whole community as we age. And I have no children, so that's really important to me. Of course, To have yeah. people of all ages yeah. who um, are my friends. Uh, and uh, we have uh, uh, wonderful relationships. We're not, sometimes we're, we, we roll together a couple of times a year, but usually, it's, of course, it's a, it's a sober uh, relationship and, uh, and, and a very satisfying one. Well, obviously, we're not talking about drug abuse. I mean, because this, this podcast is about the new way of using psychedelics or like the renewed way, like if we talk about the 60s, like in, in therapy context. Since you have such a long time, such a long experience as a therapist, so what would you say is the number one thing that people would be actually desperate about that come to you and that they couldn't resolve in their therapy over the years? Their relationships. Uh, either that they're not in one or they can't mm. maintain one mm. or they're in one that is terribly troublesome. Uh, so uh, relationship is, is the number one issue mm -hmm. that I find people come to me to deal with. Which brings us to listening to ecstasy. <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah. it it takes work. It it really does. But uh, of course, it it can be work that can alter the course of one's life uh, and uh, put one on a better path towards uh, fulfillment. This is another thing. What what I learned from American movies or living in America. What you said with the old uh, an old person, an old dog, you can teach new tricks. It's what I learned, what I heard there so many times in algorithm-generated Netflix movies. It's like relationship is hard work. And then you immediately don't want to be in a relationship anymore because who wants hard work? <laughs> kind of. So, But yeah. I feel like with psychedelics or with, with this MDMA in the game, you can learn that not everything is just hard work. There can be right. like other ways you connect with your yes. with whoever like you want to connect with which we totally unlearned i feel mm -hmm. so, yes anyway. as adults we were learned uh that play is something for children fun is something for children or it doesn't or, bring or, you any profit for example fun right right uh but uh uh with mdma we've learned that uh Uh, this can be part of an ongoing relationship uh, that uh, you can have fun with your partner. And joy can be an aspect of, of, of relationship too. And relationships are often hard work, but they don't have to just be that. About MDMA use, that isn't about just healing. It's called recreational use. I prefer the word celebrational use. Oh, that's a good word. My wife and I use it to celebrate our relationship. Next time we're going to use it is New Year's Eve. Oh, you already know so, when? It's so yeah. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we plan our experiences in advance. We, we, do it, we take this very seriously. Well, that's yeah. very promising. I'm looking forward to the FDA approvals. Because, I mean, I would be the perfect candidate to do this in, in terms of a relationship question. Mm -hmm. And I would really love to do it because, like I said, it's like, it's so interesting how this insight comes in a, a time in my life that is already kind of not my 20s anymore so mm -hmm. but it's it was such a profound um insight that too late. 
I didn't find the love of my life until I was 51. Okay, I still have time. It's never too late. <laughs> Imagine having a partner who isn't an adversary. Imagine having a partner that one can feel really emotionally safe with and uh, where, where you can really let down your guard and let them in. What a revelation that was to me. Uh, I didn't think it was possible. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought I always had to play some kind of game, always had to come, keep up some kind of wall uh, and always be on guard. Uh, and uh, I learned that, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And you still feel like a man. You don't have to be like, you know what I mean? Well, like yeah, this whole... very much. Sure. I very much feel like... Uh, a man in this relationship and uh, uh, and accessing what I'd like to call the deep masculine as opposed to uh, machismo, a masculinity that's really comes from a place of knowing who I am and not having to dominate somebody else. Mm. Well, thank you so much. I, I mean... I think this would be like the superstar podcast because this is what everybody's asking me about. <laughs> Secretly, where could I go and do this? But of course, you can't do it yet. But research mm. is on the way. Therapists are opening up to the idea once there is a decriminalization. And um, so, of course, we um, listeners and viewers of the New House Club show are updated on this when this is happening and where you could go. I mean, this is like probably next year, the situation will be different. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you so much. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend still. Well, thank you. And a great holiday to you. you. Uh, and, you know, this holiday, it's a good time to uh, being grateful and giving of, one, of oneself. And uh, I wrote this book as a gift listening to ecstasy is my gift to uh to to the world of uh it's it's an intimate story and uh, uh i i love sharing it and um holiday time is a time when i get back in touch with what's really important mm -hmm. always an opportunity to give something to someone and holiday time is a good time to remember that and uh there's always something that a friend or a stranger needs from us every day. It's uh, true. And there's always opportunities to give. And uh, that's one thing that keeps me, uh, keeps me vital and keeps me in touch with my humanity. Great. Thank you so much. It was great. Great conversation. Thank you, Anne. I really appreciate you having me on. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 